The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Thanks for the invitation back. It's always a positive thing when you get invited back to speak at a place. Um, and I never thought I'd ever say this having been a Baptist pastor, but uh, I do miss, and this might sound really strange, but I do miss members meetings. <laughs> um, currently my wife and I attend a, a, not a Baptist church, and usually when we find out about something, uh, we're told after the fact. So if someone's employed, they'll come up to the pulpit, and then you know, okay, we've got a new pastor. And there is a sense, I think, spiritually, a, a bit of a disconnect. I think um, when you're involved in the process of, of calling a pastor and voting for a pastor, I think there's a sense of um, ownership in that decision and a sense of responsibility towards the welfare of that. So, uh, yes, there you go. A Baptist who misses Baptist uh, uh, members' meetings. I want to speak on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 7 this morning, and I just want to reflect on a couple of things from this passage. The, the Apostle Paul writes to uh, dear Timothy, his disciple, um, and encourages him to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, he describes to Timothy how Christian leaders in particular should uh, live. And Paul, as you know, if you read through his letters, he often uh, resorts to analogies or similes or metaphors to describe the Christian life. And this morning's passage is an example. So if you have your Bibles with you or your devices on which you read your Bible, could you please uh, open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that through the life of Christ contained in the words of the Bible, we don't have to guess what you are like. You have come to us in human form. And through Jesus, we can follow his example of how to live a Christ-like life in this world. We pray, Lord, as we open your word today, you would speak to us. You would take these words and Holy Spirit, you would not only speak to our minds, you would speak to our hearts. Change our thinking in order to change our behavior. And we pray this for Christ's glory. Amen. So chapter 2, 1 to 7 of 2 Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who also who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share in the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. In this passage, Paul gives uh, 
three metaphors to encourage commitment and dedication. Now, the context, as I've said, is, is Timothy, who is a young minister appointed to lead a church in Ephesus. And although these metaphors are used, I think one's a simile, though, although are used to uh, encourage, in particular, Christian leaders and mentoring and developing Christian leaders, they are used for all Christians. And we see this in Paul's, uh, many of Paul's letters, in particular, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for example. He mentions all three again. And the first thing that Paul says is in verses 3 to 4, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I remember my sister many years ago going into the military and she was going to, she became a, a military police officer. And I remember going to her uh, graduation service. You know, they're all dressed up, you know, they're all looking fit and fine. And uh, after the, the service, uh, my sister had a video, which was probably a CD back in those days, and she said, this is really a, a, a short video on my journey for the last few months. And the, the, the beginning of the, uh, the video, you see a scruffy bunch of Australians standing around, a disorderly looking bunch, and then it has snippets of them training throughout the day, early mornings, you see them and you know, physically exhausted, you see the tears, the pain. The worst time my sister said she was doing some obstacle course with her rifle, she said, and she was that exhausted at the end of it. All she had to do was, I don't know, was pluck the rifle or something and hold it up. She said she was that exhausted, she just fell in the mud. But her gun was just lying next to her. The worst came, she said, when we had to, each of us had to, to line up and we'd get sprayed in the face with pepper spray. And you weren't allowed to, there was a hose right next to you. You weren't allowed to pick the hose up and use it until a certain time had passed. And oh, it looked painful. It looked painful. I think it was 30 seconds. They couldn't, you could see when they got hold of that hose, it was always connected to their eyeballs. They would be holding this hose there for ages after they're being sprayed in the face. And then at the end of it, you've got this final parade, clean cut, orderly, slick, slim, Soldiers. The picture of a soldier and life as a campaign is uh, one that the Romans knew well. Paul often presents the, as you know, the Christian walk as spiritual warfare. He says, fight the good fight, Timothy. He calls uh, fellow Christians, fellow soldiers quite often throughout his letters. He calls uh, them not only a fellow soldier, but a fellow worker in this battle. But I thought, why did Paul use this common image? What are the qualities that Paul expected to see displayed in the life of a Christian? Fundamentally, I think what he's saying is that a Christian must be ready to respond to the orders of their commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, a soldier seeks to please him who enlisted you as a soldier. To do this, a Christian, like a soldier, must have concentrated service, a single-minded focus. 
In the Roman army, soldiers weren't even allowed to marry during their times of service. Some had 20-year service periods. Consequently, they say only about 50% survived to retire. But they were expected to be strictly devoted to the task. For Paul, a Christian is enlisted as a soldier in God's campaign to make disciples to make followers of Jesus Christ, to go out and to proclaim the good news or the gospel. And Paul says, therefore, you cannot let the ordinary daily business of life and living for worldly pleasures entangle you or consume your time and energy. A life that is dedicated to the world and its concerns, its values, its pleasures, is a life that's tossed back and forward by the currents of culture. And Paul says God must be the focus of any task. For his glory is the cause and his glory is the goal. Whatever task you're involved in throughout the week, at any given time, you are to live out and display your Christianity your devotion to God. That's concentrated service, isn't it? Paul also writes, endure hardship with us like a good soldier. I think the RSV translates this verse uh, really well in terms of capturing what Paul is trying to say. Take your share in suffering. Take your share in suffering. Not when it comes, sorry, not if it comes, but when it comes. He implies that every Christian must expect some measure of ill treatment, as every soldier does. We are to endure. We are to remain faithful in our witness when those times come. The second metaphor that Paul picks up on is that of an athlete. My son and I always, every year we try to get out to Suncorp Stadium, not to watch the Broncos, but to watch the Queensland Reds, the rugby union team. I remember as a child back in the 80s going to Eden Park in New Zealand and watching the All Blacks play or watching Auckland play. Back in those days, rugby was an amateur sport, so you could actually go up to the local club and watch the national players or international players playing at your local club. And it was a fantastic memory. And so I've carried it on with my son, and we go along, as I said, about twice a year to watch the Queensland Reds. The last time we were there, actually, we were walking into the stadium, and an Uber car pulled up right in front of me, and I thought, how, how rude. I was just about to cross the road. And then I looked through the window, and I thought, hey, that's, that's an ex-All Black in there. I used to watch him when I was a kid and he opened the door and he jumped out, you know, and I was, yes, my son was, oh, my son, Brayton, this is an ex-all black there. And, you know, he was, g'day, bros, and shook my hand. And and I thought, gee, I remember watching you when I was a little kid and you're still in better shape than me now. (laughs) But when I was a kid, I always wanted to play for a rep team for rugby. And I always used to thought, I've got to be close. I'm pretty talented. Until you actually go and watch the professionals play and you think, well, there's a big gap. There is a big gap there. Because these guys are professional. They train, you know, seven days a week. 
And that's why, you know, they've got the physique for it, even in their older years, of course. And it's very interesting that Paul uses a Greek phrase here that actually describes what we would call a professional athlete, as opposed to an amateur athlete. An athlete was a person who concentrated their training, everything on their training. It was wholehearted dedication. It's not a part-time thing if you're a professional athlete. And in ancient times, an athlete had to actually state on oath that they were eligible to enter the Olympic Games. Ten months of preparation preceded their participation in the Olympic Games. That was a prerequisite, a minimum. So here we have kind of the same image we have with the first image of a soldier, dedication and endurance. However, there's a shift, a slight shift in focus here. In this image, it's on self-discipline or self-control. You see, athletes in, in Paul's day who had not subjected themselves to the necessary disciplines uh, and they signed up to an event would not only wouldn't have a chance to win, but they would lower the standard of the games of the event and therefore they were actually punished for that. For no competitor will receive a crown unless they've also competed according to the rules. And as you know, they were given a wreath. Just as athletes train tirelessly to complete or to compete in the race, we also, says Paul, need to train ourselves spiritually to be ready for God's work. Our spiritual activity must be conducted within the directives, though, of biblical faith and teaching. Paul exhorts Timothy to keep strictly to the rules fixed by the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. If we are to measure our Christian growth, we are to compare ourselves to him, to Christ-likeness. His words and his life are the finishing line. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Likeness to Jesus Christ, is the end goal, which comes about through a life that is focused, disciplined, and enabled through the work of God. There are days when an athlete would like to drop their training and relax their discipline. I'm sure there is. There will be pleasures and indulgences which we would like to allow ourselves. But, says Paul, we cannot let anything interfere with the standard of maturity set before us. There are times when we don't feel like praying. There are times when we get up on a Sunday morning and don't feel like going to church. There are times when we're at work and taking an easy way when a decision needs to be made, looks attractive. There are times when doing the right thing is really a hard thing to do and it's going to cost you. 
But that's what we do. Because the goal is Christ-likeness. And that's not going to come about without a disciplined life of applying biblical principles such as stewardship, love, kindness, prayer, worship. The important difference between the metaphor that Paul uses and the application for us is, is that every Christian who is loyal in the contest will be given a crown. Every Christian who is loyal in the contest will be given a crown. The last image Paul uses is that of a farmer. It's his third image and final image. And Paul mentions the example of hard-working farmers who reap a harvest. Most of my childhood was spent around market gardening. My parents were market gardeners. They grew cucumbers and tomatoes. We had three glass houses. And most of my childhood was eating either a cucumber or a tomato for lunch. With salt in one hand, that's usually what my mum said. You want something to eat, grab a cucumber off the vine or some tomatoes. But I used to uh, also go with my parents to the, you know, the markets to sell the produce. But I would, I would get up in the morning and watch my dad get up early. As soon as the sun was up, he was up. I'd see him, you know, getting seeds and putting it in little punnets and watering them outside of the glass house. And I'd see him setting up the irrigation in the glass house and then he'd transfer the seedlings across to the glass houses. I'd see him tend to the plants. Then I'd see him harvest them and sort through them. And then he'd load up the old Bedford truck and he'd take all the produce to the market or my mum would sell them from a little table she'd set up at the end of our driveway. I would see the reward, but I would also see the hard work that preceded the award. And that cycle continued. Dawn to sunset, a farmer toils. Even when the storms destroy the crops and the sun burns them to a crisp, the farmer is up the next day working at it again. Even when pestilence eat everything, the farmer comes back and he plants another crop. Even when the market values drop and you have to watch your crops rot away, the farmer just keeps on keeping on. And just as farmers must work diligently and patiently to see their crops grow, we too must be patient in our faith trusting that God will bring a bountiful harvest in his time. Conscientious hard labor is necessary before a farmer can enjoy a bountiful harvest. And laziness is not part of the Christian character. We have to trust, though, in God to bring forth fruit in his good time in the hearts of people. Part of my role for the last decade has been teaching Christian studies in school. And I can tell you when you have the same class that you're teaching history to, as soon as you say we're now moving on to Christian studies, the whole attitude of the class changes and barriers go up. I've had students yelling at me. I've had students asking questions, sending emails. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity. One of my students was a respectful young atheist, 
many years ago. And he, also, he always used to, you know, we'd go back and forth, which I appreciated. Uh, he, as I said, he was a respectful young fellow. Uh, and he finished school as an atheist. He said, thank you for what you taught me in Christian studies. He literally said this to me, but it's not for me. I'm going to continue my life living according to this worldview. And so he did. About two months ago, and this was probably about five or six years ago, about two months ago, I ran into this young fellow at a wedding. So I went up to him, I said, how are you doing? What are you up to? And he said, I've just finished my honours degree in theology <laughs> at the Presbyterian College in Brisbane. I'm, I'm hoping to go on to do it, but my PhD, but um, I feel a call to pastoral ministry first. And so I said, hang on, stop. <laughs> go back a bit. And he said, you know, he came out of school and he lived this worldview that he believed was the right one for him and he said it led to nowhere. It was purposeless. And he said he kind of thought about what he was, you know, which was taught at Mueller College when I was there and he started investigating for himself and he became a Christian. Became a Christian. Never would have guessed it. God is always working in the hearts of people and we never know what God is doing in the life of a person. But we have to, like the farmer, toil and trust the harvest to God. God will bring forth the fruit that he desires from that person's life. It doesn't depend on us. But through God's graciousness, we are called to be part of that process, which is an absolute pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Trusting God to bring forth the fruit in the hearts of people. So there we have it, the metaphor. We have the single-minded focus of a soldier, the discipline of a professional athlete, and the work ethic of a farmer. I want to conclude by just reading the lyrics of a song that I came across called One More Valley. When I'm tossed on life's sea and the waves cover me and the dark clouds won't let the sun shine through, then a voice seems to say, child, there'll be a brighter day. Don't allow the storms to hide sweet heaven's view because you've got one more valley, one more hill, and you've got one more trial, one more tear, one more curve in life's road, one more mile left to go. You can lay down your heavy load when you get home. Don't let Satan see your tears. Learn to trust away your fears. Hold your head up high and give the world a smile. Just be faithful all the way. It'll all be worth it someday, for it'll all be over after a while. I love the verse, the words, don't allow the storm to hide sweet heaven's view. Don't allow the storm to hide sweet heaven's view. The single-minded focus of a soldier is upheld by the thought of final victory. The discipline of a professional athlete is upheld by the vision of the crown. The work ethic of a farmer is upheld by the hope of a harvest. In Christ, we have the final victory.
In Christ, we will be given a crown. And in Christ, we have a certain hope of a harvest. Therefore, we have the strength and endurance to press on today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. We thank you for the gift of salvation that we have and the grace that you so lavishly bestow upon us each and every day. We pray according to this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, that you'll help us to be strong and courageous in our faith. Give us the strength needed to endure the hardships that come our way and the wisdom to make the right decisions as we navigate this life. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, in whom is the final victory and the hope of a bountiful harvest. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au